Hello and welcome, Soul Fam, to another new episode of Ceremony Circle Podcast. I am your host, shaman and best-selling author, Allison Charles Story, and I couldn't be more pumped up to bring you today's show as we'll finally get to cover Vedic meditation with a guest I've come to so appreciate and enjoy spending time with. He is Emmy Award-winning actor and meditation teacher, Jeff Kober. Jeff is currently an actor recurring on shows like Big Sky, NCIS Los Angeles, Walker, and General Hospital. Now, some of my personal favorite credits of his include the times he played a prisoner with supernatural connections on four different shows. What are the chances of that? Those shows included Charmed, Supernatural, Poltergeist, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's also appeared on shows like Shameless and Sons of Anarchy. He will be seen in the upcoming movie Self-Reliance and other recent work includes Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace and the movie Sully, directed by Clint Eastwood. Jeff has also been a teacher of Vedic meditation since 2007, so almost 20 years now. And he's also recently published his book, which I love. It's called Embracing Bliss, 108 Daily Meditations, and that's available everywhere books are sold. And he also has the companion podcast to that book, and the podcast is also titled Embracing Bliss with Jeff Kober. And today's episode takes on such a unique and fun texture, covering stories and themes never before shared here on Ceremony Circle. Some of the magic you'll be able to dive into with us, how I met Jeff, received my mantra from him, and what that spontaneous experience was like, including the wild dream I had after the first day of meditation class. What mantras are, some of the most transcendent and awe-inducing benefits that the Vedic meditation style has brought to Jeff and that can also potentially be brought to anyone who devotes to it, what adaptation energy is and why it's a vital piece for stress relief and aligning with the true bliss energies of life, what following charm means, some absolutely epic stories from his many years of acting in some of the biggest TV shows and movies, including tales of demon horns, creating paradigm shifts, and playing nefarious dark characters, including being a cult leader, what that experience has been like for him, and what he has devoted to every day for nearly 20 years that's utterly changed his life, and there is not one, but two different mic drop moments where I actually pause our conversation so the wisdom he shares has a chance to fully sink in for all of us. And you'll definitely want to stick around to the very end for our closing ceremony circle practice that Jeff guides us in. It's, it's an opportunity for you to be in presence and connect with present moment awareness. It sounds simple, but it is a game changer. This is an episode that has potent medicine, wisdom, and loving conscious awareness held in every tale and teaching. I guarantee you will be happy you joined for coming into wholeness through acting and meditation with Jeff Kober. Oh my goodness. I've been so looking forward to this day and so excited to reconnect with you, Jeff. Thanks for joining the Ceremony Circle. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Can't wait to see what Ceremony Circle is all about. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's not much different than the time we've already spent together. You know, I, I've i giggled and smiled so frequently when I 
reflect back to being able to meet you in person for the first time, I guess a couple months ago at this point. And um, I just felt such a ease with you and such a kindred, playful, yet deep friendship, kinship with you that I laugh sometimes at when we were sitting down at the dinner table and you were sitting to my left and for whatever reason, everybody was in the kitchen at that point and it was just you and I sitting at the table. We just glanced at each other and just laughed and just like stayed quiet for a little bit. <laughs> you know? Sometimes that's all you need to say. For real. Yeah, it was one of those just like... I don't know how, if we've done so many past lives, you know, together or what that essence is that I pick up on, but I have just really enjoyed meeting you and being able to spend time together with you. And I get your daily emails, so I feel very much present to you still and the teachings and wisdoms you share on a daily basis, which side note, I still cannot comprehend that you can do that. How, like, and this wasn't where I was planning to start, but how do you spit, send daily emails like that? Well, a lot of them are, I mean, I've been doing it now for, I think, 12 years, which is just silly. And a lot of them at this point are rewritten. And I just, I look at them and at first I see where it is that I went so far around something to say something and then I just cut out all the extra and just say what I want to say and how I used to be so specific with my languaging and I just write it now as much as possible the way I talk and then it's just a you know it's just setting it up the night before and sending it out and actually not yet finding a way to stop doing it. I mean, I don't know why I'm so mind blown by that. I mean, I'm a writer in a lot of different capacities, not just through books and decks, but just like I've always been a writer my whole life. And I'm no stranger to sending emails to your community and no stranger to media and entertainment and, and all of those things. But it really short circuited my brain when Luke said like, oh yeah, he's been <laughs> sending daily emails for like years and years. It just feels like such a strong devotional practice. And I guess that's a natural segue into the meditation that you learned many years ago and that you have also been a teacher of now for many years. And your devotion seems to be so unwavering with that as well. So I would love for you, because there's so many different types of meditations in the world and it especially in this day and age, there are a lot, there's a plethora of meditation teachers. They seem to be popping up everywhere, yet the style that you are so devoted to is a very specific way. So I, and I haven't covered it yet here on Ceremony Circle. So I'd love to start there with just what the meditation is and how you got into it. And just before we go down that road, I, I want to say that I love your use of the word devotion. And my experience that we have to be devoted to something, and actually we are devoted to something, and it makes sense for us to choose what we're devoted to rather than just to let our animal ego nature decide what we're devoted to. So devoted to something greater than myself, devoted to something that has to do with service. It's like the magic ingredient that allows me to get off myself again and again and again. And the only good things that happen in life ever 
are the times that I am off of myself, as it were, when I'm not looking at myself and judging myself and comparing myself to other selves that I've been, other times that I've been, other people I see, other experiences I see. So devotion is key. It's the basis of the 12-step groups devoted to being of service, getting connected within and doing the work to clear out the passageway and then connecting without asking, how can I offer myself to you? What can I offer to you? And listening to hear what that is rather than deciding what that is and offering it. Oh my goodness. That last sentence you just spoke for any regular listeners of Ceremony Circle, you know, that's one of the, probably the top three things they've heard me say over and over again. I just think it's so imperative, spiritual teacher or not, just human who has no desire to be a guide of any sort. It's just in general, learning that art of true surrender and living in devotion to the divine. I mean, there's been no greater game changer for my life and the miracles mm -hmm. and the shifts that it's brought for me. That's why I talk about it so much and why I teach about it so much. Yeah. So to get to the meditation I teach and why I teach it and why I'm still doing it over 20 years later is I was a mess for a long time. I had tragedy in my youth. I saw myself as unworthy of life, let alone happiness. And I convicted myself to an experience of hell. And I tried to do what I had been on the track to do before all this happened. And it just, I'd go to college and fall out and go to college and drop out and go to college. And, you know, and I was a really smart kid. I used to get straight A's and I just didn't fit in. I didn't belong there. And I joined a carnival. I hitchhiked around the country. I worked in factories. I did all of these things that I never would have imagined me doing because I was lost and didn't have any kind of a grounding. And at a certain point, life wants to be lived. And if I'm here, it means life wants to be lived through me. And it means if life wants to be lived through me, it means that I'm here for a reason. And it's my job to do the work to clear away enough garbage so that I can not only see the reason, but be, become that reason and allow life to, to be what it wants to be in me. And I had so many things wrong with me that I thought I need to find a central answer to this. If I can find the middle of all this, then maybe that will solve the edges of all this. And that, of course, is a spiritual solution, some kind of a spiritual practice. And I tried all sorts of meditations. And, you know, some I tried before I stopped drinking and, and getting high. And I always thought, well, this is really going to work as soon as I stop smoking so much pot. But I never imagined when I would stop smoking so much pot. And then even after I stopped drinking and getting high, I still, I, I would do meditation on a daily basis, but it was a meditation where I was trying to control my mind, trying to take it offline so that it would stop beating me up or so that I could be free of its abuse for a while. And none of it really worked. I remained the same person, but getting incrementally better year by year, but I was still 
at the mercy of a lot of the ways that I saw the world, uh, a lot of the ways that I saw myself in the world. And at a certain point, I literally said to myself, there are those times when you have an actual conversation with yourself and there are markers in your, your past where you just go like, wait a minute. And what my wait a minute was, look, you're 48 years old. You've got about 70% of a life back. If it hasn't changed by now, it's not going to change. You've been doing spiritual work for decades. Deal with it. This is who you are. 70% of a lot is still a bit. So, you know, live with that. And literally a month later, I learned this meditation practice, which allowed me for the first time ever to transcend or go beyond or fall below or have a separation from this mean-spirited voice in my head and this superego that judged virtually everything I did as not okay. Mm. And that moment of peace and freedom from that was like a drink of water after almost dying of thirst in the desert. And I was just all in. Were you in that... I'm tuning into something with that you having that first experience after trying so many things and just going through so much turmoil for so many years in a lot of different ways and layers and categories. And then to arrive to that place where there was this breath and this space, this thing that you mm. hadn't felt until then, was there what was happening inside or outside of you? Were you moved to tears or were you, did you sit in awe for a while after? Do you recall? Yes, it was sort of in awe and maybe not even sort of, but like, oh. And the oh has to do with, I always knew this, but didn't dare let myself in on it. Ah, ooh, whoa, oh, oh, let's have that marinate the field for a second. Whoa, that's huge, okay. And once I find something that touches me deeply, that connects me deeply, I I'm all in. It it's just the nature of what I am. I'm not interested in piecemealing anything. I use this metaphor sometimes that you can get a bunch of pieces of a life together, but it doesn't make a life. Just like Dr. Frankenstein got a bunch of pieces of a man together. It didn't make a man. There has to be that central connecting truth, that resonance, the essence. And then the life grows outward from that and expands outward from that. And it felt like I had dropped out of all that was a problem and into the place of, oh. and, and in fact, that is what I dropped into, which is the, what I teach is Vedic meditation and Veda means, it's a Sanskrit word meaning knowledge or wisdom and, or even science. And it speaks of itself as being the science of, or the knowledge of consciousness. And it says that consciousness is the truth of what is. Everything is an expression of consciousness or totality. Brahman is another word that is used for that. 
and that the truth of everything and everyone and every moment is that underlying Brahman. And one of the main aspects of or qualities of totality is bliss. And bliss is not what I thought it was. You know, when you're really in darkness and despair, you think you need something grandiose and effervescent at a huge degree in order to pull you out of it. But bliss is not that. Bliss is the feeling of, oh, I can let go. Nothing needs to change. Nothing needs to be added to. Nothing can be taken away from. Oh, you know, it's that place. I love that you brought that in and that you described it in that way. And I don't disagree. You know, it took me reflecting to just some glimmers of experiences in my own life that were very earth shattering in those human types of ways where I might be, you know, on the floor of my Brooklyn apartment where I lived alone for many years. And that's where I did so much deep shadow work and celibacy and all the things. And in those moments of further revelation and healing and transcendence, you know, on the floor, kind of slobber crying, like for one example of (laughs) being in that process. Yet I look back to a lot of those moments. I was also simultaneously connected into that bliss energetic that you just described because I, there was a time where I was viewing myself from the ceiling of my Brooklyn apartment and watching that slobber cry human form of Allison and like just revering the willingness, revering the Mm. devotion, revering the beauty of my ability to be all in to the totality of this earth walk. And also it gets me a bit emotional, like just the trust that I was cultivating, you know, layer by layer, like trusting that I can go in any direction at any place of the spectrum yeah, so it, it just you describing it that way, it took me to all all of those experiences. And so with the Vedic way, um, as you know, but I haven't shared yet here to the Soul Fam listening, when I used to go to Bali quite frequently, and I hold that place so near and dear to my heart and hope to get back soon, Luke has never been, and I'm like, you must go. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so when on one of my trips... Steve, who both Jeff and I know, he, I happened to go, was invited by Steve and and his team at a place called Sukhavati Bali. And oh my gosh, such a, wow, mind-blowing place. So beautiful. Got all these Ayurvedic treatments and went on a whole deep Panchakarma cleanse. And in the midst of all of these really cathartic, profound healing experiences, Steve also let myself and the friends I was there with know that he was a teacher of Vedic meditation and that he felt inspired if we wanted to, to go to class and learn and receive our uh, mantra. And I did do that. And I was really glad to have those teachings and learnings. And I did stick with it for a bit. I wanted to give, I'm, I'm very open-minded and I wanted to give it a shot, but it wasn't long after I got back to New York City where I was living at the time that that way, that practice, that mantra just kind of slowly eviscerated into thin air. And that was many years ago. And so when Luke mentioned, um, I had, of course, known that you had been in Luke's life in really profound ways for many years, but I hadn't met you. And he's like, oh, you know, Jeff's coming into town. And 
he's going to be at Lana's house. Like, do you want to go? And I didn't know that you, that it was what it ended up being. I just knew I wanted to meet you. And I, I thought we were going to meditate together, but just to give the listeners context. So when Luke and I show up to our friend Lana's house and, and Jeff is there, cause we'll get into his acting, but he was here in Texas filming the new version of Walker, Texas Ranger, if I'm not incorrect there. And, uh, so yeah, long story short, we're chatting and then we get invited with Jeff for a meditation that I really enjoyed. And then I learn at the end, like, you know, he's passing out some forms and he's like, I'll be here the next few days if you want to, you know, you didn't phrase it, come back to meditation school, but I was like, oh, and I just knew it was a yes. And Luke laughed on the way home. He's like, I didn't think that, I remembered you tried this before and didn't really like it. I was like, yeah, but that now it's now. And Jeff's a yeah. different teacher and I just, it's a yes. And I just had the best time being able to be with you in those successive days. And sometimes it was twice a day and receiving the mantra again, because like I told you, I don't recall what that first mantra was that I was given. So Mm-hmm. If you could explain a little bit, because this style is very different and I'd rather them hear from you than me, like what this mantra piece is all about and how you work with it during the meditation. Well, the beauty of the mantra and the magic of the mantra is it's not wrong or let's say it's useful to see ourselves as a bifurcated state. There is the ego animal nature of me. And that's represented to me by the voice in my head and the fears that I have and the need to survive and the need to find comfort. And then there is the truth of me that is more subtle than that, that has a quieter voice than that. And that is the animating factor of this whole life. When I do an any other kind of meditation that I've tried, it's about trying to change my thinking, trying to redirect my thinking, trying to redirect my attention and my mind in such a way that it becomes quieter, that it becomes more gentle, that it becomes more about the truth of of life. And the magic of the mantra is that We repeat it in this really specific fashion, which is using as little effort as possible. So the mind is kind of like, wait, what? No effort? Oh, okay. And, you know, so it's kind of taken offline for a moment. And then the mantra, which is attractive to my attention, also begins to disappear and settle down. And that model of there's pure consciousness, and then there is a wave of activity on the surface of that pure consciousness, pure being. And the mind following this mantra, moving back to its source, which is pure being, we begin to de-excite. And instead of knowing ourselves completely as our activity, our thoughts, our feelings, our associations, our accomplishments, our history, we settle down to that place of oneness, non-duality, pure bliss, that state. And... The difference being that it's not about me doing it correctly. It's about me having the intention to let something else do it for me, but setting up the parameters to allow that something else to occur. Mm. 
Wow. Love that. That was so poetic and rich. And so for anyone who is new to even trying to understand what mantra is, maybe you could just do a little dip on there. And then I have in my notes, the mantra is without story in order to take me to the place that's without story. Oh, yeah. So mantra, there's a lot of mantras in the Veda. There are probably thousands. And the Veda itself, Sanskrit itself, is mantric in nature. And mantra comes from a couple of Sanskrit roots, manas, which means mind, and trayate, which means alternatively tool or freedom. Mm. And so a mantra is something, it's a tool that we use to lead us to some experience of freedom. The first time I ever went to India back in the early 90s, I went to a restaurant and it was, I was there with a couple of friends. It was in South India and there was one guy and he came out and took our order and then he went back in and he was the chef as well. And we could hear him back there. He was chanting mantras over our food and it was, he brought it out and it was almost as if it digested itself. He was a tantric. And uh, so there are really powerful mantras to use to call upon energies that are metaphysical. Mm -hmm. These mantras that we use are bija mantras and bija means seed. And that's notable for a couple of reasons. Number one, as you said, it's a meaningless sound. It's a sound more than a word. And it's, but it's the seed of something else. And so like a seed, we're going to plant it as deeply as possible because that's where it wants to go anyway. And then we're going to allow it to germinate. And just as from a one acorn, an entire forest of oak trees can grow from this mantra, the whole experience of consciousness can be offered to us, can be introduced to us. Mm. I was <laughs> starting to laugh a little bit. Do you remember <laughs> after? So you, you, uh, telling to the list, listeners, you're, you're not to share. Once you've been given your mantra, it just it stays between you and the teacher that's given it to you. And, you know, Luke doesn't know mine and I don't know Luke's. Luke was given his mantra by Jeff many years ago. And, um, you know, even just that little piece is just kind of like, I don't know, for me, it feels fun and playful. And there's that little part of me that's like, are you sure? Like, I kind of like, are you sh- do you want to tell each other? You know, like there's that little piece that comes in naturally for me. Mm-hmm. And it did when my girlfriends and I learned in Bali, it was like, we kind of want to tell each other, but like, we want to respect and revere the way. And so you don't. And, um, I was laughing because when you gave me mine and then we went inside to meditate with it for the first time, just the experience that I had that I shared with you that day of like, my mind coming in and being like, oh, we've, we're going to have to talk to Jeff after this because um, I won't say mine out loud, but there's an experience within my mantra that historically I don't enjoy. There's a way of um, the the word that uh, is just a way that uh, is a little tough for me. And I was like, oh, he see, he didn't know that about me. And we're going to have to talk to him about this part because I'm kind of wondering if this is the right mantra with for me and things like that. And I'm listening to my own mind as this is happening and I'm laughing and I knew I would tell you. And then what occurred 
after all of this chatter <laughs> and reconciling, I guess, within my own being that this was my new mantra, I just had this thought of like, well, let's just, let's just allow it to be easy. Like it mm. doesn't need to be this thing that you have externally experienced. And, um, and then it just, all of a sudden that previous chatter just went into ease and I just stayed with that. And so it's just, it's interesting, the experiences. Your story really illustrates <laughs> the truth that the ego of me is always looking to repeat what is safe and what has worked in the past or looking to avoid what may take away from me. Mm. By definition, any activity or idea from the ego can only be made up of what's already occurred. So I, it wants to stay in charge so that it stays safe. Uh. And then I think it's me. I think it's me. But when we get in touch with that underlying truth of ourselves, whether through this meditation or whatever else we use to, to find that truth, the main thrust of that truth of me is creation and the ever unfolding new. So we find our way of letting go of the control of this, as you say, and saying, let's see what happens. And you naturally then have an experience that life wants you to have, which is actually, it can't be better than what life is offering me. It's not possible. The only thing I can do is to get in the way of what life actually wants me to, wants to offer me because life wants itself, me, to have the biggest, freest, most joyful experience of itself it can. Ah, oh, yes. And that takes what you just shared takes me and I won't get into this story long because I have so much I want to hear from you. But do you remember the dream that I had during our meditation weekend? I think it was, yeah, it was the night after our first class. Um, when I went to bed that night, I was in this trippy place. Long story short, I was trying to climb up this like very steep, dark cave that was made of these like stones and there was water running down the stones. And like, I knew I needed to make it to the top because at the top was this opening and I could tell that there was light and I could tell that there was life through that hole. Like I could hear people and I could hear music and like a whole thing happening above me. Yet I was at the bottom and trying to grasp these wet, slippery stones and this steep inner cave wall, trying to make my way up. And I'm doing my best to climb, climb, climb. And I also have a fear of heights that developed on a Santa Fe trip when I was young. And so I'm like feeling that in the dream and experiencing that. And I get about maybe like eight feet from the top and I look to my right and there's this like pool to my right. And I'm like, oh, if I can put my right foot into this pool, then maybe I can hoist somehow like leverage through my leg strength and give myself a push and hoist myself up through the hole. And I'm also close enough that I can communicate with some humans that are up there. And I'm like, Hey, you guys, can you reach down and give me a hand? And like, they just kind of weren't willing to do so. And I was annoyed. 
And then I go to put my foot in the right pool and this electric eel comes and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get electrocuted. So I have to remove my foot and I had no other choice. And the water at this point is just pouring down over the top of my head, the crown of my head, and I'm getting soaked. It's getting slippier, but I realize I've just like, it's go time. It's like go or bust moment. And I had no choice, but to like, with everything in me, clamor my way up and I made it and I like flopped onto the ground and just laid on my back in such relief. And I shared that the next day when we got back to class and your interpretation, you were like, do you mind? Are you open to what I'm seeing about that dream? And it just felt so spot on. It was something maybe, I don't know if you remember better than me, but you were saying like water typically in spirituality is representative of consciousness and that consciousness pouring over you through stepping back into the mantra and repeating it. And I don't know if you remember anything else about the interpretation, but it that's just one example of like, this work is powerful. <laughs> Absolutely. And the, one of the biggest things that this meditation gives us is that as we drop out of this experience of our ego nature and into this experience of our spiritual nature or pure consciousness nature, then nature gets to do with our ego what needs to be done, which is to begin to release the stresses that have caused us to have certain fears and certain ideas and certain withholdings and certain patterns in life. And we see that on a daily basis with dreams. The same thing happens in the meditation, except that on a much deeper level. So then your your dream is some big some big thing which was represented by you being in a deep darkness with life and light way over there, something of that released so that you were able to find yourself once again in the light. And the process was you were able to do it as soon as you gave yourself permission to, I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, it was some trippy stuff. A lot happened in our few days together. And yeah. so... I know that this is tough because there's so many things to share and there's so many things that I want to cover with you in this hour. And I'm realizing time is going by so quickly. So, and I don't want to do like your teachings injustice. So I will absolutely put in the show notes, Jeff's website, because you have ways to get on your email list. And can you also explain, because I just don't want to forget at the end, if people are like, if something's already sparking up inside of someone and they want to attend a class with you and receive their mantra, like how does somebody go about doing that? I offer an introductory talk the second Thursday of every month online, 7 p.m. Pacific time. And then I teach the four-day course beginning the next day, usually. Um, so whatever the second Thursday of February is, I'll be giving a talk and people can write me through the website and I'll get back to them and it should be on the calendar there, but I'm, that's one place where I just suck. You and Luke <laughs> are similar in that way. Um, I just suck at keeping that stuff up. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so the best way is to go to your website then yeah. and get in touch there. Okay, cool. Right. I just didn't want to leave that out because I have a feeling some folks will want to, to lean into this. So the other thing that I wanted to cover with you, well, actually, before we go there, can you just share, I know the potential benefits of this style of meditation are truly infinite. Like that's an honest statement to make, but 
can you give a couple of examples? Like I, I have here, um, the stress releasing process as exhibited mm -hmm. in my dream, effortlessness, uh, non-attachment, and you develop adaptation energy. Like, I know these are big concepts to try to do briefly, but what is one surfacing that you want to talk about right now that's a benefit? Well, we talked about adaptation energy before we started recording here, and it's not an actual thing. You can't, there's no reservoir of adaptation energy that we can point out. Yeah, right. It's right next to the liver. It's not that. But, you know, stress is when we're unable to deal with the way life is and we either fight against it or have a reaction to it even as we're having to deal with it and judging it as being wrong and then going into the story of why it's wrong and what's wrong with me and what did I do wrong and what should I have done instead and all of that, all of which takes me out of the moment and out of the flow of life that wants to occur through me because the Veda says in some way that consciousness was and it couldn't have an experience of itself because there were no, there was no other to have a conversation mm. with. There was no movement to occur. Right. There was no time passing because it was everywhere and every time. Oh. And it was. Right. And it gave itself the first and most supreme gift of falling into ignorance of itself. Ah. Forgetting itself in part so it could have the joy of reuniting with itself. Oh, God, that's so beautiful. That's another moment. I just want that to fill the field for a second. Because if you're able to soak in and take in that one thing that you just said, that changes your whole life experience and understanding of everything. And as above, so below, what I believe we're meant to do is to get connected with that underlying flow of nature, always moving in the direction of evolution, always moving in the direction of more wholeness, wholeness and more completeness and more creativity and, and more grace and peace and, and happiness and love, all of that. That's our job. Yeah. But if we're beset by all of this, we can't really feel that flow going in. So we start letting go of the stresses. And as we let go of the stresses, we start to be able to feel more readily that underlying flow that's occurring, what some people would call intuition, others might call charm. It just feels a bit more right to move in this direction. But also as we let go of the stress that we carry, that thing we feel when it's just this much, just this much left in our container and someone says the wrong thing and we just spill over and, and pop off at someone. Well, as that reservoir becomes less and less filled with stress, it begins to fill with what we can call adaptation energy, which is the ability to see the way things are and engage with things the way they are, rather than fighting against them in my mind. And rather than saying, oh, no, we can start saying, well, it will be interesting to see how this works out. Yes. Yes. And that feels very charming. And I, I recall in my journey after I had my divine intervention, spiritual awakening, simultaneous moment and day, and I started to, and I had my surrender moment after that and got into living in devotion to the divine and, and my calling, I recall pretty quickly um, having experiences where in the moment as they were happening, I was feeling and being witness to my 
non-reactivity and also being taken to, wow, not that long ago, if this would have happened, I would not be feeling what I'm, I would not be experiencing myself this way. And those were just some of those like glimmers of, wow, we're on to something here. Like this shift in life, this surrender thing that you did, like keep going because this feels way better. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I could not do this interview without getting into the acting side of you because I'm so fascinated by it. I didn't really know much about that part of you when I met you, but you told some incredible stories during our classroom time. And I also did a little bit of research before this interview. Um, You've done so many things because you've been acting for quite a long time. Uh, and some of the shows that and movies he's been in, The Walking Dead, Shameless, General Hospital, Walker, Texas Ranger, Sons of Anarchy, NCIS. And here's one of my favorites on your IMDb. It said you played, quote unquote, creepy guy, and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> and like you, it's like known on your IMDb and in your bio that you are kind of known for playing these nefarious roles or these creepy guys, you know, small time. One description was a small time drug dealer with murderous inclinations. And it's like, it's just so hilarious to me to know that these are the types of roles that you have ended up playing probably more than anything else. Yet the Jeff I know is this wise embodied grounded meditation teacher who studied with Maharishi. And so I don't even know where I want to go from here. What's coming up for you? And like, I'm just fascinated at how how you're able to hold all of this and these roles you're able to play so well. But I don't know. That doesn't seem like the Jeff that I know. Well, I didn't study with Maharishi. I studied with a student of Maharishi. Oh, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Um, The, see, acting saved my life. Because I had pushed away the darkness so completely that I felt like a mind walking around with a cement block Mm -hmm. from the neck down. And I went to acting class just because of a series of events. Someone said, I think you'd like this, come. And I went and suddenly I saw these people owning and using and exhibiting feelings that I had inside. And they were getting accolades for it and being given permission to do it. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And so I started down that path and acting the desire to get to it and to be full and free and alive in it was the one thing that was strong enough for me to do the kind of emotional work to dig down through the layers Mm. and get in touch with life hidden underneath all these layers of repressed darkness. Wow. And then, you know, you have all those layers of repressed darkness. And I used to be intense is what people used to say. You're really intense. What that meant was, is that they saw that there was a lot going on, but there was very little coming out and they had to step back because if this thing's going to blow, you want to be far enough away from it. So I was able to take that energy and embody serial killers, God help me, and embody abusive characters embody criminals. I was able to leap into an experience where, you know, I lived with darkness for so long. It's like, 
yeah, I can do pretend darkness, but and fill it up with real darkness. But always, always guided by and informed by and propelled by truth underneath mm. the truth of of life and and the truth of of consciousness. Even before I was studying consciousness, and as it is for, I think, at least some actors, you know, you don't get into acting unless there's something emotionally challenging about being you, my opinion, my observation. <laughs> and then you get to use your work to process some of this stuff, to bring it out into the open and go like, oh, I didn't die. No one died. Oh, I guess it's okay to have that. Mm. And then to find out, I, oh, there's something that I am that is other than this energy. And when I can disidentify with the energy, but have it there to use, ah, uh, that's when it really starts to work. I remember there was one role that everyone who ever watched Law and Order remembers a character I played, which was back in the early nineties. I was a, a cult leader and <laughs> uh, I had recently learned this meditation but I was playing a cult leader who was responsible for the death of like 24 children. And I had several wives and one of them, this is based on a true story, by the way. One of them was 12 and a half years old and she was going to birth the Antichrist with me or birth the new, the second coming with me. And she was pregnant. And here's one of the secrets of acting. I played that character as pure love and pure devotion to the truth as I understood it. And I let the context tell the story. And Mariska Hargitay won her first, perhaps only Emmy for that episode. And the seminal scene was us in the interview room where uh, I say, why do you do this kind of work? This, this can really hurt you. Oh, you were abused, weren't you? Oh my God, and you put yourself through this. And I was being this loving guy. But then I tried to watch it afterwards. I couldn't last five minutes. It was so creepy. But wow. I said, I was just, I was a happy guy and just, it's all about love. And it is all about love, but love in that context and from that perspective is just creepy. Oh, yeah. Man, so, I feel that. Yeah, I, right. It's, it's really fascinating to me. Like I could, you know, and hopefully in the future, I'd just be curious to have more conversations with you. Um around all of this, just because I don't have much experience with acting. You, after college, um, when I did sign with a modeling agency, they also had acting classes in a school and the woman, the owner recommended that I take those just to see what would happen. And I'm glad I did because I have since carried such respect all the way forward for any actors I see or know, because for me, I guess I can only speak for myself, it was incredibly challenging. And it was not what I thought in my mind acting was. I was like, oh, exactly. cool. You just like get a script and I'm good. I was, you know, a TV host and radio host. Like you get a script and you just pretend. And I like, no, it, it was hard as hell <laughs> for me. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. I never was able to appreciate painting until I tried to paint. And then I went back to the art museum and went, oh, my God. <laughs> Saw it totally different. Same thing, yeah. 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 Can you tell the story? Um, I have a couple that you shared with me before. If you're open to sharing the horn falling off one and like, oh, why okay, the so, oil? So in my life, I've done a few prosthetic 
jobs. And one was Alien Nation, the movie with Mandy Patinkin and James Caan and produced by Gail Ann Hurd. And, and one was Tank Girl, where I played Booga, the love interest, half kangaroo, half human of Laurie Petty's Tank Girl. And, you know, and my first big role on TV was I, I played a the monster on uh, Highway to Heaven, which was just a guy with a big birthmark, and that was prosthetic. So I think it was the last prosthetic job I had was this, I can't remember, it was, I think it was on CW or Fox, and it was these parents had sold their son to Satan, and it was, it was a comedy, and I was a demon, and they had to come to me to get something. And, and my girlfriend was, she worked at the Department of Motor Vehicles. She was a demon too. And, <laughs> and I ran a storage facility where they came to get special weapons. So and bad. demons, the only way you can tell they're demons is they have these tiny little horns right at their hairline. And if you're self-obsessed, you don't notice them, but they were really good looking little horns. And they took like an hour, hour and a half to put them on and blend them in and all of that. And and when you do prosthetics, you take at least half that much time getting it off at night because the glue is so profoundly sticky. And I'm sitting on set, it's nighttime and I'm, we're, I'm waiting to shoot and I'm talking to the uh, makeup person about meditation. And she, all of a sudden she goes, oh my God. I said, what? She says, your horn's falling off. And I, sure enough, it was falling off. And so we rushed back up to the trailer and she's putting it back on. And then I came back down and just 15 minutes later, it fell off again. And there's a thing that happens, you know, one of the things that happens in meditation, uh, Vedic meditation and any meditation that gets you there is you have a download of bliss chemistry in the system. And one of those expressions of this bliss chemistry is a thing called Bindu. And it's like an oil that comes out on the forehead. And if you see like uh, Amma or some of the holy men and women, you see their forehead just shining. And this Amma is just a naturally occurring expression that helps your skin and that apparently won't let demon horns stay on your forehead. <laughs> it's just so good. Like Because <laughs> I'd never had that experience before. And just We had to shoot and then glue it, shoot and glue it. And just the whole night was just a nightmare of keeping a horn on, but I was so delighted by it. It, yeah. was a, it was like a turning point for me. It felt like this is expressive of something. Yeah, no, it's hilarious. You can't make stuff like that up. It's just <laughs> too good. Your, your demon horn would, was unable to stay on because your meditation bliss oil on your forehead. It's just right. it's too good. And I think maybe the last story uh, I knew, I knew before you and I hit record, that I would maybe have to like send a prayer that you would agree at some point to come back on because I rarely have five pages of things I want to cover with someone, but yours, your word doc was five pages long. I was like, shit, we're going to cover like one quarter of this. And we are, but before we get to the closing ritual or teaching that you want to share, like if there's one more either acting story? Because I remember I have a couple here, like you talked of that pivot that you made where you would show up on set. It like, cause there was a point where you didn't want to play like certain roles over and over again. You had just been there, done that. And then you showed up on set and you were like, oh, what's this? And what's this? You were able to make a whole paradigm shift. And that's, that's a perfect story to tell because it ties together the job I was doing in Texas when we met and yeah 
the idea of devotion. And FYI, I was going to Texas to spend time with uh, one of my teachers, Sri M, who has a place outside of Graham, Texas, which is an hour or so out of Dal or Fort Worth. And I made plans then to go down and, and meet Lana. And then she said, you can teach out of my house. So I told my manager, I said, book me out. I'm not acting. And then she called and said, listen, there, someone's offering you a job. And it's during that time that you were booked out. And, and I said, oh, what is it? She said, well, it's, it's, it's Walker and it's in Austin. And I said, okay. And it, it ends before I was going to teach meditation. I said, okay, I'll take that. So this job, I, there's the original Walker, Texas Ranger. I was, I did some work in the first season of it. They hired me probably four or five times. And I always played the boyfriend or husband who was abusive and who got beat up, arrested or killed or all three by Chuck or his stunt man or my wife, girlfriend. And it was like, there was, this was back before we had the internet and email and all of that. And my manager called and said, they're, they're offering you uh, a walker. I said, no. I don't want to do it. I've done that role. I don't want to get beat up again by Chuck. And uh, I don't want to be that that sleazy guy. And she said, okay. And she called back, you know, half hour later said, look, they promise it's a different role. This one's different. I said, okay, let me look at the script. No, you don't have time. You have to go to the airport this afternoon. They'll give you a script when you get in the car. So I'm already committed. I get this script. I get on the plane. I'm sitting there in first class because that's where they used to fly actors. Now it's business, maybe. But I'm in first class. I open it up. I start reading. I go, like, son of a bitch. This is the same Amen. guy. But I was already committed. I had to do it. And I remember telling myself another one of those conversations with myself. I am going to enjoy this job if it kills me. Mm. And I got on set and I just started to become interested in everyone else and what they were doing. And why do you to. think, I mean, right there though, is my intrigue. Like, was that just naturally what started to emanate out of you? I think it's natural. And I also think, I know that anything good that comes out of me is not out of my self-centeredness. And spirituality, rather than being self-centered and everything is about me somehow, I'm like, oh, God, I'm not supposed to be here. Okay, I'll do your scene. You know, it's like you have to be centered in the self. And then the only place to move when you're centered in the self is outward. Okay. So, and I suppose the model of recovery programs is about, you know, service. And so I just became fascinated in what was going on around me just so that I took up my time instead of sitting there and suffering. Right. And I had so much fun, even getting beat up. It was just still so much fun. It's and so I, great. I, yeah. I act, talking to these other actors and every single person on the cast in the cast had their own acting coach. So I would watch them coach and then I'd ask them, what did you tell them? You know, things like that. It was just, it was fun. It was a hoot. It's and, fun for me to think of you, like to picture you walking around set being like, oh, what are you doing there? Like, wh where do you come from and what, what are you playing today? And just, it's fun to think of that. Well, and it's, you know, I just had a coffee with a director yesterday that I worked with a few months ago. And this is, this, this sounds like humble brag, but it, this actually just happened. He said, I just wanted to thank you because 
you know, on that last day, he said, I was so stressed. I felt like my head was going to explode. And twice during that day, you just came up to me and you just said, God, you're doing a great job. I, I'm so glad th the way you're, you're organizing all of this and coordinating it. And he said, and he said, I, I told my dad and I, I was, I was almost in tears. I said, he saved my life. Wow. I was just doing my job, which is, it's my job. If I'm awake at all and doing any kind of spiritual practice that's working, it means that I'm feeling fulfillment within. When I'm feeling fulfillment within, I don't need to get it from you. Yeah. I don't need your approval. I don't care if I get your disapproval. I, I want us to have a good experience, but it, it's not life or death. And then centered in the self, the only thing I can do is offer my energy to the experience and my attention and awareness to the experience and be engaged in whatever is happening in an uplifting fashion mm. and offering to. And I said, you know, I, I might've had the thought, yeah, go talk to him at this moment, but it wasn't, it wasn't me going like, Hmm, if yeah. I were him, I'd want, it was just, Hey man, good on you. And it changed his experience of life. Wow. At a time when he really needed just, just one little indication you're doing okay. Just one attaboy from the universe. And here's the thing. If I'm in touch with universal flow and with spirit, it means I'm volunteering to be an outlet for creative intelligence, for the, the loving energy of the divine, which means I'll say the right thing at the right time. I'll smile to the person at the right time. I'll let someone slide if they accidentally step on my toe in line at the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And it will mean something to me that's like not that big a deal, but to the other person, it would be like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Yeah. Because they're so used to living in some version of the state that I used to live in of hell. And someone just says, yeah, you don't have to do that. Right. Yeah. Come on out yeah. Here and play. Yes. Yes. You bring a paradigm, a different paradigm to their, yeah. to their existence. Ah, so beautiful. Well, I guess we have hit officially hit that time where we will shift into the closing ceremony circle practice and I'll let you take it away and let the listeners know if there's any instructions before you take them wherever you're taking us. Okay. So, uh, if you're driving, stop the car. Most of our time is spent in our thoughts about the world and even our thoughts about ourselves. And we're rarely grounded in this experience of life. And it's interesting because we want to identify as spirit. But one of the ways to be able to do that in the relative world is to be absolutely certain that we're present in this nervous system. Mm. You know, the life is made up of that which animates and that which is animated. And this nervous system is what's animated. I'm spirit having this nervous system experience. So we do the work that we do personally to get in touch with spirit, with consciousness, which is the meditation you and I talked about. And then during our eyes open state, we, we do the work to be present where we are and when we are, instead of in our thoughts about when we are and where we are, we, we do the work to get present with our friend rather than our thoughts about our friend or our thoughts about our friend's thoughts about us mm -hmm. or holding on to that story we're going to tell as soon as they stop talking. So we practice 
present moment awareness. And this is, you know, mindfulness. That's that's all this is, but it's so ridiculously simple. And if we could just close our eyes and take a breath and let it go and just notice where we're holding our body, where we might be holding our shoulders up or holding our diaphragm closed and, and taking another nice, deep cleansing breath and letting it go and then feeling maybe a little more weight now in our sit bones and, and a little bit more we can feel our feet on the ground and, and, and a little bit more we can take another breath and feel our shoulders dropping a little bit. And, and then if we just take a quick scan of the inside of our body, wherever it is it occurs to you, like for me, I first feel my throat and I can feel an energy there that is not collapse and not expansion, but is ready to do either. But it's just energized. And then I can feel my heart center in, in, in a kinesthetic fashion, like the actual flesh and, and energy there of a, a bit of an openness and a bit of aliveness. And then I can feel my diaphragm uh, just relaxed as I was talking myself through this. And I can feel my belly and Oftentimes it might feel like snakes in the belly, but right now it just feels like openness and, and a little bit of heat in the, my lower back. And, and I can feel where my legs connect with my hips and I can feel that there's a, an, a softness there and a letting go there. And I can feel the weight of my body in the chair. And if I look through and I don't feel things in those places, then it, it, maybe it's just blank and I can say, oh, look, I've been avoiding something there. Isn't that interesting? And Maybe it will come out now, maybe it will come out later, but I'm taking note. And then I can come back out to the surface of my body, my eyes still closed, and I can ask myself, can I feel energy in the palms of my hands? Can I feel the backs of my hands? And, and can I feel the skin of my forearms and maybe the fabric of my sweater or shirt against that skin? And, and you know, can I feel any the sun on my face or the wind in my face and then what can i taste i've been drinking a concoction here that's a little too sweet and i can taste that's a little sticky inside my mouth and what can i smell my my labradoodle needs a bath and there's a little bit of sandalwood incense that was burned a couple of days ago and 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 what can i hear i can hear the sound of my voice and i i can hear a, a ringing in my ears, which I just happen to have a lot of the time. And I can hear the movement of my chair just barely in a little bit of traffic. And then I just easily, gently open my eyes and I allow the visual field to stream in. I don't need to go out and look for things. The light is pouring into my system at all times. And I can see this whole field of shape and form and color and light and shadow and a little bit of movement here and just peripherally on the screen and and I take a breath and it's maybe a little freer than it was before and I notice how my voice changed as I was walking myself through being here and here is where I naturally can connect with the flow of life that wants to move through me and from this place of flow that is available now because I'm here, the thoughts that I'm generally so aligned with and so identified with become 
just the froth of the wave. They're out there, but I'm not married to them. I'm not taking them as calls to action or demands for my attention or useful information necessarily about me or my situation or my life. And I'm here and I'm ready to be used by something greater than my best thinking. Perfect words to end on and to close this ceremony circle journey with. Ah, this was everything that I knew it would be and then some. So thank you so much for carving some time and energy out of your day to sit with me and, and all the listeners. Just what a delight. I, I can sit and watch you and listen to you and talk with you for as long as you want. Let's do it again. Oh, I would love that. Thank you. And I am going to remember that you said right. that because I was All like, right. God, I hope he's open to coming back on because there's certain people I just have a sense either, either before the interview even happens or during. I'm like, ah, this is a reoccurring person that I would like to have. So I'm going to save the rest of my notes, these other four pages that we didn't get to, and we will cover those at a, at a later date. And will you remind people your website and just best ways to connect with you? jeffkober.com, J-E-F-F-K-O-B-E-R. And on Instagram, jeffkobermeditation. I can be reached at either of those places. And I have a daily newsletter, as you mentioned, which is a daily thought. And I've compiled some of those into a, a book called Embracing Bliss because it doesn't just happen, you have to embrace it. And a podcast by the same name, which is uh, currently being recorded and listened to wherever you get your podcast. Great. Yeah, I have the book and I have been regularly looking at that and pulled a lot from that that we didn't really get to to cover today. And yeah, as, as I said at the top of the show with his daily emails, I'm on the list and it's just nice to start my day with reading what you share because, you know, I walk the path of the shaman and, and the shamanic way, but there's a lot of crossover in our worlds and our teachings. There, I'll, I'll, I'll shut up after this, hopefully. The truth is that we are spirit having a human experience. And I think our assignment is to know that we are spirit even as we're having the human experience and then find the way that spirit best expresses through us and that can be through shamanism or teaching meditation or acting or playing guitar or whatever it is for you and there's absolutely crossover and then at bottom it's the same thing yeah it's just a different flavor of expression yeah yeah. And the last thing I'll try to say is, um, you know, that same night at the dinner table when you were in town, just sharing in sacred space, I don't think it's a big deal. There was a young man at the table and he asked me something like, you know, in uh, your work as a shaman, you know, what is the main thing that it's brought you or something like that? And yeah, I shared that it's just brought me into the totality, you know, the the whole oneness web of allness, of, of wholeness. And I'm able to move, thank God, goddess, I'm able to move now with such grace and cohesiveness and divinity with whatever is presented to me. And I saw 
the same message come through in one of your your emails. And I was like, ah, yes. And that's exactly how I feel with the path of shamanism, mm -hmm. but yet the same teaching and very similar words came through um, in one of your emails one day. So yeah, such a good time. Beautiful. Yeah. And thanks again. And thank you to the Soul Fam for joining us. And we will sit together again next time. Woo-wee, what a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, if you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.